Now let's uh, read from Ephesians chapter 6 very briefly. Ephesians chapter 6, which is on page 1163. Page 1163. Uh, That's chapter 6, verse 16. And reminding us of verses we've looked at in previous weeks. Verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now we're going to be looking, actually, tonight at the command to take the sword of the Spirit. Um, Let's now pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that You have granted us not only to be your children, but also to be your soldiers. Lord, you've granted not only that we should have delight, joy, peace in the Holy Spirit, but you've also given us a task which takes the Holy Spirit's power and indeed the weapons of our spiritual warfare provided by the Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, that you will uh, encourage us and inspire us tonight as we look at, Lord, uh, the the sword of the Spirit tonight, the Word of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, we'll have the notices at uh, at the end of the service. Um, I want to to just uh, notice this, that um, the the Roman offensive weapons, sometimes people say, Oh, the, the only offensive weapon in the, uh, in the armour was um, the sword. Not quite true, because actually the shield could be, could be used in an offensive attack, obviously, and even could be used as a weapon. Um, the thing is this, that we also know that actually in the average, if you like, uh, Roman soldier's um, career, he would not only use a sword as an offensive weapon, he, might, he would almost certainly use a spear, which was part of the standard kit for the Roman soldier. He would have darts, which were about eight inches, eight inches, eight, eight inches long, which were, were fitted into, into little slots inside the shield. And uh, he might also use a catapult. There were a range of offensive weapons. But when Paul focuses in on the sword of the Spirit, he is clearly talking about an offensive weapon for the Christian of great moment. Of tremendous, of tremendous power, and uh, I found uh, too much material to deal with in one week. And I've actually, uh, I'm dealing with the sword that is the Word of God uh, as the subject tonight. And next week, I am going. Oh, uh, yes, next week I'm going to be looking at the sword that the Spirit has forged and custom made for the believer, because. It's not just a sword, it is the spirit's sword. And uh, I want us to notice this, that often as Christians we are intimidated by the forces around us. It's not, not surprising, is it? <laughs> minority of people in some countries, a very small minority, who have been hounded uh, by sometimes mobs of people, killed, burnt alive, imprisoned, tortured, 
whole, whole, uh, whole churches wiped out in many countries. And in this country, it's not surprising that we should sometimes feel, well, uh, the battle is going against us. The forces of modern ideology seems to be so powerful that just in 10 years, a whole new ideology has taken over the minds of people under the age of 30, uh, which didn't really exist 20 years ago. And uh, what are we doing? I mean, what's happening? The Bible assures us that we have a weapon of the most titanic, explosive, incredible ferocity and ability to change the situation. Um, During the Second World War, um, the French Marshal Pétain, who eventually became the leader of um, the Vichy collaborationist government of France, said this. This was, you know, right, right near the beginning of the, uh, uh, just after the, the war had started, after a few months. In three weeks, England will have her neck wrung like a chicken. And uh, Churchill's reply was, some chicken, some neck. And look, we might say when, you know, people come and say, oh, Christianity's finished, Christianity's over, we might say this, some God and some word. And just in, in a, you know, I suppose you might say it's a banal comparison, just the same way as Britain survived and indeed triumphed in the Second World War. We have a force within the church that the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And, of course, that, that our leader is the Lord Jesus Christ. That power of the Holy Spirit is what is filling churches. And, indeed, the word of God is a sword of such devastating effect that, uh, ultimately, uh, ultimately, the world will not stand up to it. In the book, I'm not going to go into the book of Revelation in detail. I perhaps may touch on it next week. But you'll see that on numerous occasions we're told that Jesus has a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Now, this is a vision. It's obviously not to be taken literally. But in a vision where the Lord Jesus Christ has a two-edged sword coming out of, uh, coming out of his mouth to strike down his enemies. It's talking about the same two-edged sword that um, uh, the Bible refers to. Because in the book of Hebrews it says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, a two-edged sword is especially dangerous, as you, as you know. Razor sharp on both sides of the sword. Hit it one way, hit it the other way, it's going to do damage. It's incredibly, incredibly dangerous in the hands of an expert swordsman. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks the word, that's the sword coming out of his mouth, and through his word, he will conquer nations. The gospel will triumph. That's what the Bible tells us. But, okay, I want to just think about what is the word of God that Paul is referring to in this particular passage. Now, um, the, the word that is used for... Um, Word, word of God, is the word rhema, in uh, R-H-E-M-A. Um, 
and which is different from a word that's often used for um, the word, which is logos. So at the beginning of John, it says, in the beginning was the word. That's logos. Here Paul is using a different word, rhema. And you'll find a lot of people make an incredible amount about trying to distinguish between logos and rhema. Uh, I don't really think uh, uh, that, uh, that that distinction actually holds. I mean, the word rhema has to do, yes, with... Originally, it's, it's linked to the idea of wind, but basically, in New Testament Greek and in classical Greek, it had to do with an utterance coming from someone's mouth. And uh, therefore, uh, when Paul says, um, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, we're talking here about the utterances of God found in the Old Testament through the prophets, Moses, and the historical books. It's talking about the words of Jesus himself who proclaimed the word of God through his actions, through his utterances, through his statements. And it is obviously talking also about the apostles' ministry. Now, to, you know, to back this up, let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, a passage we looked at ages ago. But Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, um, verse 2 of chapter 3, which is page 1160, Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. In other words, God was giving him um, uh, a message that was to be, to be disclosed. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When we read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been uh, revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, Paul isolates part of the revelation and messages in his generation that God uh, disclosed. And, and this thing he was concentrating on was this amazing thing that everybody in the whole world is included in the promises of Christ, of forgiveness and new life. Not just the Jewish people, but all the peoples of the world can, if they wish, receive salvation. But actually, as you, as you go through Paul's writings here and in other parts, it's quite clear that he wasn't saying, oh, well, God is going to reveal in other generations, not through the apostles that are now, but through other generations, there's going to be other apostles and so on, and, and there's going to be things added on to the apostles' revelation, to what Jesus said, to what the Old Testament said. No, there's no, no indication at all of that, that he believed that to be so. The word of God, therefore, consists in the Old Testament scriptures, which we have in the first half of our, well, first two-thirds of our Bible, and the, the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of his apostles and prophets from New Testament times, which are, are written in the, in the New Testament. Now, we'll look at why that is important next week in the practical outworking of how the word of God works in our life. But I want us to notice this, that Paul goes on to say, he talks about, the fact that um, verse 9, let's, uh, let's look at verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be, now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose 
that you realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. The manifold wisdom of God is being manifested firstly through the messages of the apostles and prophets, the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes people's lives. And the, the message, the manifold message, the rainbow message, a wonderful message in all of its variety that leads to Christians growing into the image of Christ, being like Christ. And the, the angels, both the, the, the angels of God and the angels of the devil are witnessing in this world the transforming power of the word of God and the gospel and are, are amazed by it. Now, you needn't look this passage up, but it's in the first chapter of Peter. It's of 1 Peter. It's fairly easy to remember if you want to look it up later. 1 Peter 1, verse 12. Peter says this, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, that is, the prophets of the Old Testament, weren't serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look now here we have this picture of the gospel and the word of God in general in its, in its manifold variety being revealed in this generation and even the angels long to look at what this message means both in the word itself the message and also in the practice of the way it works out in practice you see the, the gospel itself was not even understood by the angels until it happened, and until, they re, until the, 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 the mystery of it was fully disclosed to them. Now, neither the, the evil angel of Satan, not even the angels of God fully understood all of the ramifications, all the glory, all the wonder of the message of peace and love to this world that came in Jesus Christ. Um, it says that they long to look into it. Now, um, that word in the Greek um, comes from the idea, and, and those of you who are musicians might, you know, or know a bit about music, will know that a harpist has to kind of play. Uh, you can't really look at the strings because they're all in front of you, straight, straight in front of you. Now, the thing is, the word that is used um, in the Greek comes from Aristophanes, or he uses it, when a poorly trained musician because he doesn't know what the strings are that he's doing, he has to, uh, in order to play properly, you know, he stoops around to look. It really trying to see it. And in just the same way, a, um, it says also that uh, the, the, the apostles, when they came to the tomb, and the women, they had to stoop down to get and look inside the tomb. They had to you know, get into it really... Peter is, is saying that the angels longed to look. They would stoop down to see what the, the word of God means, what the gospel means. It's a glorious, wonderful thing. We know that on, when the, on the day that Jesus was born, the angels praised God because they, the, the incarnation was happening. It was, this was a wonderful sight. This was a glorious thing. We don't know how much angels knew of the event before it happened. Um, but what we do know is, is that the angels long to look into this book and see it now. Well, they, of course, now they can see it and understand it and read it. It's been revealed by God, not only to men, but also to angels. But they long to see it being put into practice in people's lives. The word of God 
is not just a book of instructions. It is a powerful weapon to transform our lives and to transform this world. And the angels are looking on with rapt attention to see the sword of God at work in the world. And this is right down to the nuts and bolts of our our lives. When you have your quiet times, when you have time alone with God, it's not just the Lord that sees you and, and delights in you sharing time with him but the angels themselves think it's wonderful <laughs> when we are making progress with God in just the same way Jesus said the angels in heaven you know are rejoicing when one sinner repents well from indications from here we see that the angels are delighted when they when they start to see the gospel itself transforming lives when they see the mean, the full meaning of uh, how the father has worked out this plan from eternity giving glory to him and of course in turn that those angels in some mysterious way we don't quite understand are servants of God in, in, uh, uh, in helping uh, the church in its work now so I want to say this that this word of God the Bible the Bible has unique properties as a weapon of God now you might say well 66 books you know 66 books what what? they're just books how do you mean they're a weapon it is the content which affects the mind and the heart of this book that has has the most dynamic effect upon human hearts we might say that this book although written in words contains the very heart of God a disclosure of what God is like what his laws are what what his ways are and how we are to change And therefore, this book, far from being some dull uh, bit of literature that we have to read because we did it at school, which unfortunately, under the old regime of uh, where uh, the Bible was taught as a textbook in school, that I'm afraid most teachers turned the Bible into an incredibly boring book that kids never wanted to look at. And because 90% of teachers in the state education didn't believe the Bible anyway, they simply uh, inoculated kids against this, this wonderful book but by telling them, oh, you can't trust this, this wasn't written by, you know, this, was, uh, this is not right, this is a myth, this is a legend, and so on and so forth. But the thing is this, is that the Lord wants this book to be, in our own individual lives, a sword of the Lord. He wants uh, this generation uh, to feel the sword of the Lord at work. He wants, in our churches... The Bible to be the sword of the Lord, as, as it is preached. Now, I was I was reading, uh, I just just uh, as I was researching something or other, I came across an article about um, big missionary campaigns. Sorry, big mission campaigns in the 20th century, and uh, it, it had the results. And it had, for instance, a it, it, it talked about a, a, a visit of a famous evangelist to Wembley in the 1960s. Now, I went to, I, I, I was at one of those meetings uh, in 1966, 67, which there were 100,000 people in Wembley. The singing was fantastic. Um, the message only lasted 15 minutes, you know, which quite surprised me. 
Um, but still, the fact that loads of people went forward and said they were becoming Christians, you know, it, it was, you, on the night it was an exhilarating experience. But I remember the, 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 the next morning I was, I was on my paper round, giving out the papers, and I just felt really flat. And it just seemed like, oh, you know, just that was just an emotional experience. It was just, you know, those emotions didn't cook, it didn't actually cohere to the reality of the world as it was then. Well, actually, of those numbers of people that went forward to that meeting, um, the statistics show only 11% um, were still going to church 20 years, 10 years later, only 11%. And the emotions don't really stay with you. But when you hear the word of God preached and it acts like a sword in your life, it has permanent effects upon you. And particularly the gospel has a delightful, wonderful impact upon our lives that don't depend upon whether it's a sunshining day or it's a grey day or anything, but simply depends upon the Holy Spirit at work. Now, we need this, we need this word of God in our own lives. Uh, the book of Hebrews says the word of God is living and active. Living and active. Now, it, this is a, a peculiar um, sort of expression to say that the word of God is living and active. What does that mean? Well, the Bible, okay, as a, as a book, it, it's not living. The Bible isn't a book that is living. But it does have, oh, sorry, I'll say that again. It's not a, a personal life. It's not a person. The Bible isn't a person. It's not, it's not a living person. But Jesus said, the words which I have spoken to you are spirit and life. What does he mean? Well, there's a special life in these words that has dynamic effects uh, when the Holy Spirit is working. Now, cancer spreads and destroys and cancer is, is, is a living disease. It's living in some, some people debate whether it's a living thing or not, but cancer basically multi, you know, reproduces itself and multiplies and, until it destroys. Once someone has cancer uh, in its later stages, it's very difficult to stop its, its spread. But the word of God and the message of the gospel, the word that is in the Bible, has a wonderful effect upon our brains and upon our souls. Because the word produces fruit. It's like a, like a, like a tree. It produces connections. The word of God uh, connects our sense of failure and a breaking of God's law. It convinces us of that. But then shows us all of the ways in which God is going to be helping us and can help us. And as we live our lives, the word of God becomes more and more an integrating factor in our life. Whether it be, you know... The, the difficult bits of the Bible, biblical theology, or whether it must be the practical life, there's, the word of God starts to spread and, make, and we start to make sense of, of, of where our lives are and starts to also, our lives start to reflect through the Holy Spirit's power, the person of Christ, and we become like Christ. It's living, it's active, it's energetic. I mean, the word means energetic or powerful. Uh, and... Uh, gets us wanting to fight the Lord's battle. Remember, you may remember that um, 
when Jesus started his ministry, we're told that the Holy Spirit drove him out into the desert. He had this internal drive to go into the desert and there battle with the devil as, as the devil tempted him. And um, this is the way the Bible works in our life. This is the way the sword of the Spirit works in our, our life. Because the Word of God doesn't just work outside of us against false doctrine, against uh, uh, non-Christian uh, ideas, against uh, the, the barriers that, pit place, that get placed in the way of people becoming Christians. It doesn't only work like that. He works in our own lives. The sword of the Spirit starts to, to clear away, like a surgeon's knife, the sins that are in our life, the things that are wrong, as God convicts us and then gives us the power and strength through the blood of Christ to turn away from the things that are wrong. Now, I'm gonna, I want to, to finish quickly now um, by just saying this. Uh, there's a lot more to say about this next week, but I just want to say this. Firstly, the Bible tells us how important it is that we should be trained in the use of this sword in our life, which I will be looking into a, a bit of detail next week. Um, Jesus said to his own disciples, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings out from his treasure things new and old. And, uh, you know, if you want to, to be trained as a disciple, you need to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. You need to be able to take the riches of Old Testament wisdom and New Testament uh, wisdom and apply them to your life. It isn't, you know, Jesus said, don't go and try and deal with someone, someone who's got a splinter in his eye if you've got a plank in your own eye. And if our own inner life is not living according to God's word, how can we go out and help other people? We need to actually get rid of the plank in our own eye. We need to get rid of the sins in our own life. And we do that in just the same way as we're going to help other people. We take Old Testament teaching, we take New Testament teaching, and we pray it through, and we seek to apply uh, with God's help, um, all of the lessons that he gives us. Now, we need to be trained um, in, uh, in uh, serving him. We need to um, rightly divide the word of truth, Paul says. You know, uh, you need to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, all of us have different verbal abilities, backgrounds, and ideas. And when we're sharing the word of God, of course, those are going to come out. Someone might be a Cockney, another person might be an American. And their accent, their background, their culture will come out in the way that they share the word of God. That's true. We convey the word of God in different ways. Uh, and sometimes illustrations, some of us are very short, some of us are very long. Um, in, in the way we, we, we talk to people, I'm talking about witnessing to people. But if we misunderstand the word of God because we haven't studied it properly or if we willfully you know change the meaning of it we're not taking the sword of the spirit to fight the battles of God we're actually taking that sheath you know of our own misunderstanding not not the and we're beating someone in the head with a sheath and you know a sheath with the thing that you slot the the sword into hopeless instead of seeing uh instead of seeing there being being gigantic fortresses are tumbling down. People who are, who are, who are in, in the devil's kingdom and all of their defenses are ripped away and they come to Christ. Instead of seeing that, we're just beating people over the head with false ideas, false 
uh, false uh, things, bits from the Bible uh, that are taken. We need to really understand the Bible. Paul says about Timothy, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've uh, learned them. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, and from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. So from a young child, Timothy was really trained up by his Grand, by, by his grandparents, and particularly by his, by his mother and his grandmother, to actually understand what being a Christian was. And Paul reminds him that all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, so that man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So, uh, the word of God is to be properly uh, absorbed by us, learnt by us, and then we are in turn to pass it on to others in ways that will bless them. And that will, inclu- that will include reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Someone once uh, uh, accused someone of judging them when they were correcting them. But no, when you're correcting someone, if you're doing it in love, you're trying to bless them. You're not trying to hurt them or offend them. You're just trying to help them along the right way. So Paul also says, uh, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. And so you can see how important it is for us as we're thinking about the use of the Bible in our life, the sword of the Spirit, that we actually take seriously the study and meditation and memorization of important parts of the Bible. Now next week we're going to be looking at the way that the sword of the Spirit, which has been forged by the Spirit, which in other words has been, has been created by the Spirit of God, uh, how we are to use that sword in our own life, uh, and how the word wonderfully is custom made for us as believers. So we'll look a bit further more into that uh, next week. Let's close the word of prayer. Father, we do ask you that we may know, Lord, the power of your word as we talk to people. Oh, Lord, um, we know that uh, revival in New Testament times didn't just consist in apostles preaching to thousands, but also consisted in hundreds of thousands of individual Christians spread out by persecution all over the Roman Empire. And talking about the gospel. And we're told the hand of the Lord was with them. And many believed in in Antioch and other places. And we pray, Lord, that you may grant that this may be true in our area. Lord, we ask you, the hand of the Lord will be with us. Lord, that it won't be just us wielding uh, the sword of God. But rather, we pray, Lord, that... Oh, Lord, you will be wielding us and you will help us as we share the gospel. We share the message of Christ. That, Lord, you will bring alive this wonderful and marvel- these marvelous truths in people's lives. And there will be many that will confess Christ as Savior and Lord in these days. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.